chose to bring heaven down to us so that our lives on this side of eternity would be a taste of heaven. And so oftentimes what God is hoping to do in your life, what God is desiring to do in each one of our lives is he's desiring to do a work where we don't just live temporal, temporary, earthbound lives, but our lives take on this beautiful quality of the things of heaven. That's why we should set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Looking at a beautiful sunset or reflecting on a treasured friendship, these things can get us thinking about what heaven will be like. But as wonderful as that will be, some not-so-great things have to happen first. As you hear Pastor Daniel's teaching today, God's going to begin to wind up this earth's history. You'll be learning about God's judgments on mankind and the historical significance that they may have. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation chapter 8 as he begins his message, Here Come the Trumpets. So we're all creatures of habit, aren't we? Where our lives have a tendency, we do things pretty similarly all the time. And for me, my Sunday morning kind of habit is always such a blast because it's Sunday morning and I realize that for me, Sunday is my busy day, you know, where it's like a lot of work goes into what we're going to do here. And for me, I want to teach the word well. And so when I get up on Sunday mornings, it's like obviously I, you know, stretch out the creaky body as I get older and, and drink some water. And before you move to the dirty water, the coffee, you know, and uh, I sit down with my Bible and I love spending time in God's word. I've been doing our church's Bible reading plan, which is so much fun. And we read a bunch of Psalms today, four Psalms in Romans chapter 13. And then obviously, you know, you got to get ready. And so, but what's beautiful is, is my youngest daughter, Annabelle, who I love telling stories about. One of Annabelle's Sunday rituals is she always prays for me before I leave for church. You know, and it's so sweet because sometimes it's like if she hears me like open the garage door and if she's still upstairs, she'll come like peeling down the stairs like, dad, you can't leave before I pray for you. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful park. So normally I'll, I'll like, I'll come into the kitchen to, to get a little food before I leave. And then I'll be like, dad, let me pray for you. And I'm like, listen, let me eat first and then we'll pray. And so sure enough, I, I ate my breakfast this morning and Annabelle's like, dad, okay, can I pray for you now? And, and so she prayed for me, just a beautiful prayer. She said, Lord, we'll let dad preach the best sermon he's ever preached. So I'm praying that God answers that prayer. It's so sweet. And then I gave her a hug and she said, Dad, which Bible should I bring to church today? And she had like her kid's Bible and then she had like her adult Bible, you know, like, so the kid's Bible's got pictures on it and then the adult Bible's got the book of Revelation in it. You know what I mean? And, and so I said, well, Annabelle, the best Bible to bring to church is the one that you'll read. And she said, she looked at me, she's like, that's a good one, dad, you know? And I'm like, well, which one are you going to me? She's like, I'll bring the adult Bible. I'm like, good. And then what's so beautiful is then, so Annabelle prays for me and then I leave and then Lynn will always pray for me right before I get in the car. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful little thing, but that idea of the best Bible, which one should I bring? Whichever one you read. What's amazing for all of us is the Bible is the most widely translated book in the world, but it's by comparison, maybe the least read And not only should we just read the word, but so much of what God wants for each one of us is to actually have to deal with the word of God. 
What is in it? And if you've been around the Bible at all, and I realize, you know, not only for everyone who's gathered here in our, in, in our sanctuary, but people all gathered on the internet and picking us up online and all these different things, the Bible is simple, but it's not simplistic. And the more you approach it, the deeper the stuff gets. And what's hard for all of us is we live in a culture that does not think very deeply about anything. Like we live in a soundbite culture, you know, which is horrifying because if you imagine if someone recorded everything that you said all day today and they pulled out one sentence, how will they make you look? Pretty bad, right? Because just one little sentence out of context. But for the things of God, we actually have to think deeply about it. And one of the things that I love as we've been studying the book of Revelation together, which means so much feedback from so many people about how much they're enjoying the study, which is awesome for me. And it's also horrifying a little bit because it's like I realize that the book of Revelation, it's not easy. But one of the things that I'm constantly reminded of is that we have to really think about what these things say. Because if we don't think about it, not only what it says in a specific book, but also what does this mean in the context of the whole of the Bible? So I really feel like one of my jobs as one of your pastors is not just to teach you what the word says, but actually to teach you how to study the word for yourself. There's that old uh, saying that if you give them a fish, you can feed them for a day. And if you teach them to fish, you can feed them for a lifetime. And I really believe that my job is to help all of us be able to feed ourselves, not only because I don't feel like feeding you all the time, which isn't the case, but really if all you do is eat a meal on Sunday at church and you fast from the word of God the rest of the week, you're not going to be spiritually nourished. So, so much of it is how do we become the type of people who are nourished by the word of God all the time? And so we're in a kind of a gnarly section in the book of Revelation because we're in this whole period where there's these successive waves of judgment coming on the earth. I wanted to take a moment just to put this back in the bigger story of the Bible. You have to remember that in your Bibles, from Genesis to Revelation, all of God's word, there are actually three universal judgments that happen. There's three of them. The first one is with Noah and the flood. Remember that? It's like God saved Noah, his wife, their kids, and a bunch of animals, And everybody else died. So that's the first one. Of course, the second one, I'm not doing these in chronological order, is what we're seeing now in the book of Revelation. And what you're going to see is that really God's heart is in this final judgment. He's not judging it by water. He's judging it by fire. And I bring that up because when we see what we're going to see today, you're going to see a lot of fire going on. But there is a third universal judgment that if we don't keep it in context, it it doesn't help us understand the other two. And that is the judgment of sin that happened localized on Jesus himself. You realize that? It was a universal judgment. God sought to forgive the sins of the entire world, but instead of giving that judgment to everybody, he localized it on his own son, Jesus. And it's important that if you read the Bible, but you take it out of context, you end up having beliefs that are not biblical. Like I've always said, if you take a text out of its context... What do you have left? A con. You like that? Context. See that? You take the text out, you have a con. And that's why people have used the Bible for all sorts of horrible things and beautiful things as long as we've known it because we have to always see it in context. Now, the reason I say that is because oftentimes when we're looking at the book of Revelation and you're looking at a holy, loving God bringing judgment on the world, people are like, well, I just don't get how a loving God could be so mean. The only way you can say that is if you remove what's happening in Revelation from the finished work of Jesus that you get in the Gospels. 
Because what you realize is that what God is doing for all of us is he's saying, listen, there is a very serious problem. And with that serious problem, there needs to be a solution. And the only solution is for me to send my own son to come on a rescue mission for the world. And the deliverance from this other judgment actually comes through trusting in what I've done in the person and work of my own son, Jesus. And for the folks who are like, no, absolutely not. Like, that's all great about the Jesus thing, but not for me. They still have to deal with the big problem that Jesus came to solve on his own. And what you see in the book of Revelation is God saying, listen, because you wouldn't take my deliverance, this is what it looks like. And I always remind people that you can try to blame God for it, but it's really not his fault. God isn't culpable for what's happening because he said, look, there's a way out of this. And I've already provided the way, and all I ask of you is that you were to trust and believe. And if you won't, it'd be like kind of like if you had like a really uh, generous person. Maybe you were swimming in credit card debt and student loan debt, and someone's like, hey, listen, no strings attached. I just want to pay this for you. No, no, no. I do it myself. Right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, I don't understand why these creditors are coming. It's, everyone's so mean. It's like, well, actually, they were going to pay it off for you. And it's the same idea, but we have this tendency to not want to look at the book of Revelation through the lens of Jesus. But what have we been saying all through this series? It's the revelation of who? This book is not about the judgments primarily, and it's not about the mark of the beast primarily. Anybody notice that Pastor Gabe got the mark of the beast on his forehead? Oh, I'm just kidding. I've been holding that in for like a week. I'm so sorry, poor Pastor Gabe. He didn't really, he just, he got beat up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pastor Gabe. I've been trying, I've been hold, I've been trying to hold that in for so long. But as I said, Mark of the Beast, I thought about Pastor Gabe and his scar on his forehead. And I'm like, ah. anyway, sorry. Now I lost my place. Oh yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not about all these things. It's primarily who is Jesus and what has Jesus done? And as we continue now into a a pretty gnarly section of the the book of Revelation, we're going to keep seeing this is about Jesus. So everyone open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. You see, if you take that comment about Pastor Gabe getting the mark of the beast, you see how, you take that out of context, how messed up that is, right? Do someone be on like in the internet being like, don't go to Crossroads. One of the pastors got the mark of the beast yesterday. (laughs) Stay away from the church. Okay, anyway, Revelation chapter 8, if you brought your Bible with you to church, I'm so proud of you. Bring your Bible to church. I want you to be able to read along. I'm not just making this stuff up. And of course, if you're like, I don't hold books, I hold my phone, just open up your favorite browser window, your Bible app, go to Revelation 8. I don't care where you find it. I just want you to read God's word digitally, in paper, whatever, you, whatever it is. This is what it says. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, When he, this is speaking of Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Verse 5 Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Okay. 
So really what we see here, I'll give you like the, just the way I'm going to frame this for you, is that really what this is, is the seventh seal is actually the calm before the storm. Remember, I keep telling you that the seven seal judgments give way to the seven trumpet judgments, which give way to the seven vile or bold judgments. And so you have Jesus, he's the one who's opening the seal. So these judgments that are coming upon the earth are actually coming from Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he is over all of this. So he opens the seven seals and then there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And of course, this reminds me of Zechariah chapter two, verse 13, which says, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And whenever I think about this, there's this silence in heaven. I always think about, remember I told you I love my rituals. So, so normally not on a Sunday, but we have a rule in our house. And for you parents of young kids, you want this rule. And so uh, someone told me it along the way, and I'm so happy they did, is that you should not let your kids out of their room until 7 a.m. Right? Now someone's like, how do you do that? And it's called a lock on the outside. <laughs> it's not child abuse. You, they can still knock on the door. It's like they, they got a room full of toys. And so, so, so we, Lynn and I did this. And so what's funny is, is because my, my daughter, Annabelle, seven, like, it's cool because when our older kids, Obadiah and Maranatha, when they were younger, they were always up and they were like out the door at seven. But now they're teenagers, which means they sleep until like three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know how it happened. It's like you hit puberty, you sleep all day. But when they're younger, they don't sleep at all. Like, you know? And so Annabelle's in that age, she's eight years old. And so what's funny is, is like you get up and so Lynn and I, in order to be sane parents, you know, and walk with Jesus, we get up way earlier and then you're drinking coffee and you're you're reading your Bible and you're praying, you're doing all this stuff before the madness starts. But it's always funny because I'll always be looking at the clock and it's like 6.55, and so normally at 6.55, I'll like hold my coffee and I realize that in five minutes, it's all going to break loose in my house. So literally, it's like I'm watching the thing go down. 6.59, I'm like, here we go. Right at seven o'clock, you hear the door come flying open. It's morning. She's like a rooster. You know what I mean? She's like coming out. She's ready for the day. You know what I mean? And it's so sweet. But I remember thinking of the calm before the storm. I always think about that. Those few minutes before seven o'clock, before my house erupts in happy chaos. And that's exactly what's going on here because Jesus opens the seal and there's like a hush of silence. Heaven is silent for about a half an hour. And then from there, then we find out that there are these seven angels who stand before God and to each of them were given the seven trumpets. So there's seven angels who are going to be bringing out these seven trumpet judgments. And then in the midst of all of that, then there's another angel who's having a golden censer and he came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God and from the angel's hand. Now, there's so much in here. And literally, if I was doing like a super slow study of the book of Revelation, we could just spend our whole time now just exploring the fact that we find out there's an altar before God's throne in heaven and there's a golden censer up there because all of this points to the tabernacle and the temple. All of these things that you see in the tabernacle and temple, the worship tent until it became the temple under uh, Solomon. All of this is a picture of stuff that was in heaven. So sometimes you're like, well, why does God have them making this thing and the brazen altar? And why are they making the table of showbread and all these things? If you read the book of Exodus and you see this stuff going on and you read through the Old Testament, all of it's a picture of stuff that's in heaven. 
And I could spend time, like, and believe me, I could bore you with geeking out on what this all is. But really what you find is that God wanted the people to have a little taste of heaven, and that's why he gave us the tabernacle and the temple. And ultimately, Jesus said that I am the temple. So don't ever miss the fact, as we were singing earlier, that we're waking up to heaven. It's like, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God chose to bring heaven down to us so that our lives on this side of eternity would be a taste of heaven. And so oftentimes what God is hoping to do in your life, what God is desiring to do in each one of our lives, is he's desiring to do a work where we don't just live temporal, temporary, earthbound lives, but our lives take on this beautiful quality of the things of heaven. That's why we should set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 3. That Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we should set our hearts on heavenly things. And that's really the purpose of the Spirit of God. And what God is inviting each one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, into is to get our eyes not focused only on the earthbound things, but on the heavenly things. Because God wants to lift us up. He wants to lead each one of us higher than we are apt to left to our own devices. And so you have this angel and he's got this censer and he stood before the altar and he was given much incense. And what's beautiful is every time I read this about the incense, that it should be offered it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar. I love that. That anytime you think of incense, the fragrance rising up in the book of Revelation, it's always married to this idea of your prayers. And of course, Psalm 141 verse two says it this way, let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, you want your life to be a house of prayer. Because when you think about incense, it was meant to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. And when we pray, God receives it as a gift that blesses him. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people of prayer. You need your life to be rooted in prayer. It's one of the things in this year of Revelation, God has just been stirring our heart as a church family. We need more prayer. Like I love it, before each gathering, you know, we have our pre-service prayer, and it's a beautiful time. It's literally my favorite time on Sundays. It's praying with the men and women here at Crossroads before service. You're all invited. Come at 8.15. It's not too early. It's a great time. And when you pray, you walk away, you're like, oh, this is so good. Listen, I want to encourage all of you. Make your houses houses of prayer. If you're married, grab your spouse, pray. If you have kids, pray for them. I mean, I just think about it. I got prayed twice before I even left my house. I got prayed on by two girls in my family. You know what I mean? I prayed before I even got to talk to anybody. I was talking to the Lord. Then I get here, get prayed for them in the family. I'm like praying for people. Listen, let your homes be places of prayer. Make space for that. I'm not saying you have to have like marathon prayers. I mean, marathon prayers are good, but if you ever read Jesus' prayers, you can read any one of Jesus' prayers in less than about 15 seconds. Jesus wasn't verbose. He got right to the point. Right? So it doesn't have to be long prayers, marathon prayers. Jesus actually said that actually our prayers aren't heard because of our many words. So it doesn't have to be long and involved, but it's about centering our lives around the Lord. And our prayers are seen by God as incense. So this angel, he's like offering this incense, but really what he's doing is he's offering your prayers before God, the prayers of the saints. 
That's how God sees our prayers. And what's amazing is, is then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth, it says in verse 5, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So really what you have is that the seventh seal first begins with silence and then ends with this angel throwing this censer of fire to the earth and then there's this upheaval in the natural world. And what's amazing is, is like, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how it's so important to remember and have perspective on our lives. Because I try and imagine like, if I was standing in the crossroads pulpit, when this angel throws this censer to the earth and there's this extraordinary cataclysmic happenings. I mean, like you think about there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Like, that's a pretty bad day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I was flying just last week, and I was flying across the country, and we hit this point when I was flying, and it was like, I'm looking out the window, and all I'm seeing is lightning. It's just lightning everywhere. You know what I mean? And it was pretty far away, and I'm just like, this is horrifying. And then I start getting, like, existential on the thing, where I'm like, I'm in this metal tube, and I was raised that if there's lightning, like, get out of the water, don't hold up like a metal pipe. I was like, this is not smart, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's wet out here because there's, you know, and, there's, and I'm flying on this metal thing and there's lightning. Literally, it's like the whole sky. I wasn't even smart enough to grab my phone to try and take pictures of it. Because I was just like blown away and I'm like, this is scary. And then I think about this kind of stuff. But now we start these trumpet judgments. We have these seven angels with the seven trumpets. Now, just one quick note, and we'll keep moving here. You know I love music, and just a couple weeks ago, I was kind of giving my parents a hard time for their easy listening. Any of you had parents who liked easy listening? Yeah, any of you like easy listening? Good, just so you know, your, parents, your kids don't like it, but it's, so cool. it's cool, you like it. And I was thinking about the seven trumpets, and I always put, when I hear trumpets, I always think about my, all my jazz favorite trumpeters, but then I was thinking about how cool it was, my first experience with the trumpet... It was actually technically a flugelhorn, but I didn't know the difference. Good old easy listening. How many of you guys remember Chuck Mangione, It Feels So Good? Yeah, that was on heavy rotation when I was a kid. It was like Barry Manilow, Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson, or Christopher Cross, and then Feels So Good. You remember that song? Da, 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 da. You guys don't know that song? It's, and not the long version. He, like, he's got the jazz version. I was looking for it on, on, on like the music uh, things. There's like the nine-minute jazz guy version, which I never heard before. I heard like the easy listening version. There's great bass playing on I think Abe Laboreal, Believer in the Lord, great bass player. He plays bass on that. Got a little disco section. And I was just thinking, like, that's the first trumpet for me, like, like Chuck Mangione. And that led into Miles Davis and Freddie Hubbard. And now I really like these trumpet players who they, they make their trumpets sound like duck calls and they talk through the trumpet and very cool we can i could be dj later Jesus is real. well we got to hear pastor daniel begin teaching about what's called the trumpet judgments today while it might be tempting to look at these events as coming from an angry god on the contrary God continues to plead with mankind to turn from their evil ways, but they won't. It's like warning someone that a bridge is out, but they choose to continue driving to their own destruction, which is very sad. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, 
If it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will keep sharing from the book of Revelation. You'll hear more about these judgments on mankind and on the earth itself. Pastor Daniel will talk about the massive devastation that's going to happen to the physical world and the similarities between these plagues and the plagues that God brought on Egypt when Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, A Year of Revelation. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.